Good evening, brothers and sisters. So we are continuing this evening um, in the Confession of Faith, the 1689. And if you had a, have a bulletin there, you can see we're in chapter 13, sanctification. We'll be looking at sanctification tonight there in your bulletin. Before we um, begin, I want to, I'm going to take a look or I'm going to read Revelation 21.5. I'm going to be going real quick through a lot of passages. You can try to keep up or you can just look at the bulletin here. It has all those passages. You can look them up on your own sometime. But Revelation 21.5 says this. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is who we'll be looking at this evening. The God who makes all things new. And this is what God does. One of the things he does is sanctification. He is taking sinners who are lost and condemned and he changes their hearts. And then he is making them new in his image. And we'll be looking at this in um, six different headings. If you look at your handout there, the the bulletin, you'll see there on the, um, the right side. Heading number one says discerning reality. Number two is new in Christ. Number three, putting the old man to death. Number four, avoiding stunted growth. Number five, God's will for your life. And number six, conforming to Christ. So number one, discerning reality. So before we talk about sanctification, we must have a right understanding of justification. Now, Pastor Luke taught us a few weeks back on justification, and we got a good understanding of what that was. I'm going to just review that really quick. So false religions and even some Christians get these two truths mixed up. That's justification and sanctification. Get these two doctrines confused. When a sinner places their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, immediately he is justified. When he has turned from his sin and he's repented and placed his faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone, no longer trusting in his good works, he's trusted in Christ alone, he is justified. He's declared right before God and God's great courtroom, he's declared innocent. He used to be guilty, but now he's innocent, so he's justified. It is instantaneous, happens immediately when the individual puts their faith and trust in Christ, he is justified. And it is only through the, it is only through faith and repentance and through Jesus Christ that this is possible. And we see this in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. So that is justification, and that's what we learned, like I said, a few weeks back. But tonight, again, we're looking at sanctification. Sanctification does not take place in the unconverted. It's not for the unbeliever, right? So tonight, I'm speaking to the church of the living God, those who have been regenerated, those who have saving faith in Christ and Christ alone. So a good definition of sanctification is actually found Here in the confession, so if you grab your bulletin again, in um, the heading or the paragraph number one, I'll go ahead and read that. Those who are united to Christ, who are effectually called and regenerated and have a new heart and a new spirit created in them through the 
though through virtue, power, and merit of Christ's death and resurrection are also further sanctified, really and personally, through the same virtue, by his word and spirit dwelling in them, the dominion power of the, the whole body of sin is destroyed, and its various lusts, sinful desires, are increasingly weakened and mortified, put to death. At the same time, those so united to Christ are increasingly enlivened and strengthened in all saving graces so that they practice, pursue, and demonstrate all true holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. So sanctification is the process of God, the Holy Spirit, conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, there's an analogy that, um, that has always been really helpful for me when I first learned the doctrines of grace. And many of you probably have heard this before, but it's, a, it's the um, staircase analogy, right? So you can picture a staircase, right? And in the Christian life, when we are saved, repent of our sins, and we're converted, regenerated, we start at the bottom of the staircase. And as God grows us through the Holy Spirit, we take two steps forward. But then when we sin, we take a step back. Two steps forward, step back. Two steps forward, step back. So we do fall because we're still sinners. But as you look back down the staircase, you've noticed through the years you have grown. Right? So we're not where we want to be. And that's good. We don't want to become complacent. But we can look back and see if we're saved, the work of the Holy Spirit gradually conforming us into the image of Christ. But there's always progress growing in Christ. The Holy Spirit is always at work within us. All right. Heading number two. New in Christ. What happens to a sinner when he is converted, when he is regenerated? God gives him or grants him the helper, the Holy Spirit, which begins to work and move in the life of the believer, pointing him to Christ um, and molding him into the image of Christ. We see this prophesied in the Old Testament in Ezekiel 2.27 of where the prophet Ezekiel is prophesying of the new covenant to come and what God's going to do when he pours out his spirit. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. And then John, in John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus, before he is heading to the cross, he is going to tell the disciples the gift he's going to send them, the helper, the Holy Spirit. 14.26 says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. When we meditate on this, we think on it, we think about this for a second, we can see the beauty of this doctrine. It is a personal doctrine. It isn't this robotic, systematic thing that is nothing. It's beautiful what God is doing in the life of the believer. And you think about it in this way. It is God seeking out God within us. God the Holy Spirit is causing us to make much about Christ within us as he's pointing us to Christ. So it's God the Holy Spirit seeking God the Son and causing us and pushing us towards the Son. It's a beautiful and amazing thing that God would do that very thing within us. So we know that we fell in the garden, right? We, our parents fell. They sinned against God. Man fell and was cursed um, by sin. 
And then he saved us, those who have trusted in him. Now he begins to restore that image that is within. That image that has been fallen and tainted by sin, he comes in, he regenerates us, and sanctification is that process of God restoring that image to himself. This is what God, Jesus Christ, is doing here on earth, and it's sanctification is part of that restoration process of Jesus um, bringing everything back into himself, restoring all things. And it, part of that is his people. He is restoring us back to him and restoring that image through the power of his spirit. <clears throat> it's like a sculptor taking a block of marble and turning it into a masterpiece. I don't know if you ever heard this analogy before, but it's really, really good. The artist takes a model of the sculpture that he is going to create, and then he begins to chip away at the block of marble, fashioning it in the likeness of the original. He uses many different types of tools. Some tools knock off large chunks, and some tools are used to take off small pieces. Some are used for very small, detailed, um, uh, delicate detailing. It is said that it would take up to 12 months of great patience and detail that this sculptor would put into his work as he becomes um, personally involved in the work that he's, he's creating. The time and effort that was put into a sculpture was very personal and very intimate. This is a beautiful and glorious doctrine. Sanctification is a gradual process, a personal, intimate work of the Holy Spirit as we learn to rely on him and his grace. We begin to grow in our knowledge of God. And as he begins to grow us, we begin to see him more clearly and we begin to live the way we ought to live as he's restoring us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Ephesians 3.16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. As our knowledge of God grows, we see him as he is to a certain extent through his word, and we begin to see the greatness of God, how he's holy and just and right, and then we begin to see who we are. We're not. We're sinful creatures. We're less than nothing. This causes our love to grow for God, and then we, as the passage says, we are filled up into the fullness of God as we begin to marvel at the love of God for us and saving sinners like us. God uses his love to sanctify us. Point number three, our heading number three says this, putting the old man to death. When we came to Christ, we died. The old man is dead and we live to keep him in the grave. It hurts to die. Romans 6, 5, for if you have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, 
in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Romans 6.14, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. See, the old man was condemned by the law because we broke the law. We no longer have the law hanging over our heads condemning us because the king of glory fulfilled it on our behalf and took the condemnation upon himself. Sin is no longer our slave master. We are now free to obey the law because of God's grace. We no longer have to sin. A Christian no longer has to sin. We can actually turn away from sin because God has granted us the power through his spirit. We, know, we can say no to sin. We have the power to do so through the Holy Spirit. Romans 6, 4. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Newness of life. That's what we have come to when we come to saving faith in Christ and as the Holy Spirit begins to mold us into the image of Jesus Christ. Not only have we died to ourselves and to the world and to sin and our flesh and living for ourselves, we are also in the process of dying. And that's what hurts, killing the flesh, denying ourselves. Sometimes we pray very bold prayers, right? We, we pray things, and then we expect God to, to, to do those things in our life, but we yet don't realize when they come because we are imagining they're going to come in a different way. We pray that God would conform us to his image to make us more like Christ. Then God may decide to bring a trial into our lives and we are very quick to pray it away. Now, absolutely, we're to run after God. We're to, you know, cry out to him when we're in, in anguish and in pain and whatever we may be suffering in. Absolutely, we're to cry out to him. But at the same time, realizing we are... We're serving a God who is sovereign over all things. It's not an accident that adversity comes into your life, but yet we have a great understanding of his sovereignty that we can pray in the correct way and ask him to use this trial in my life to make me more like his son because that's what he is actually doing. When we grow in our sanctification, we learn that even in sickness or trial adversity, we can say thank you for the trial. Now, those words may come out of your mouth with tears and trembling, but we can still say it because we know who our God is. I love Sovereign Grace music, and one of um, their CDs is one of my favorites. It's called Come, Weary Saints. If you've never heard of that, I definitely recommend it. One of the songs is As Long As You Are Glorified. I'm going to read um, just a, a verse of that. It says this. Shall I take from your hand your blessings, yet not welcome any pain? Shall I thank you in days of sunshine, yet grumble in days of rain? Shall I love you in times of plenty, then leave you in days of drought? Shall I trust when I reap the harvest, but when winter winds blow, then doubt? It's just very helpful to remember who our God is, and not to fret, and not to be distraught, but to trust, knowing that he knows what he's doing with us. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know 
that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So obviously this is a wonderful passage, right? And this is a go-to passage every time we're dealing with adversity, right? Trouble in our lives. This is where we run to. But Romans 8.28 is not a passage for us to, for the Christian, it's not a coping mechanism. It's not for us to run to just to deal with it and just to cope. Because we forget sometimes what verse 29 says. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Sometimes God brings trials into your life, right? He's working and moving. He does them because he loves you, absolutely, 100%. But he is doing it to mold you into the image of his son. Why? So that Jesus Christ would be first among the brethren. It is so we would, with our mouths, praise God no matter what we're dealing with, and we look and we're praising God and we're giving glory to God, and His Son is glorified through this, through our trials and our suffering, and how we respond. Do you know the only people that can deal with suffering and praise God is the Christian. So the unbeliever can look to us and they can find hope in what we are looking to as we look to Christ And it is not easy to do that very thing. But again, you have the power of the Holy Spirit residing within you. He is the helper. We could learn so much from the book of Job when it comes to suffering. What did God say about Job? Job Job 1.8. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on earth. A blameless and upright man, fearing God... And turning away from evil. Then God allows Satan to bring tragedy in the life of Job. Job was a real human being like us. When everything seemed to be going so good, Job had it all stripped away. He struggled with why these terrible trials were happening to him when he was so loyal and faithful to God. In chapter 31, of Job, Job lays out his case before God and basically says, if I have sinned against you, then show me the error of my ways. Was Job faithful to God? Yes. But he was not sinless. Job only being a mere creature overstepped his boundaries and challenged the almighty God. The almighty sovereign God. Then we have God's response to Job in Job 31, or 38, 1 through 4. God says this. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding." After two chapters of God educating Job and showing Job who he really is, giving him um, insight into his character, God allows Job to speak. And in Job 40, 1 through 5, we see this. Then the Lord said to Job, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? 
I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken, and I will not answer. Even twice, and I will not add anything more. Then God continues to educate Job for another two chapters. Just giving this amazing display of what God... This is just a hint at what God does only on the earth. And then God allows Job to speak once again in Job 42.1. It says this. Then God answered... Or then, sorry. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things. And then no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. This is Job's response. Remember how God spoke of Job. The only blameless man he spoke of him. Highly of him. Job and his friends thought that they had a handle on God. Job's knowledge of God grew through his trial. After everything that happened to Job, Job has a a very, very high view of the character of God now. Job was sanctified through his trial. We as fallen creatures have only earned one thing. God owes us only one thing. And Job forgot this. The only thing that God owes us is his wrath. Everything else is grace. We forget that man is not basically good, but apart from Christ, we are wicked to the core. We, like Job, can forget this and think that we are entitled to something from God. Did God love Job? Absolutely, 100%. And God blessed Job two times over. Did God have to do that? No. It is all of grace. Grace on top of grace on top of grace. Philippians 2.12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now how much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Sanctification is us helping or working with God, alongside God, and us being conformed to the image of his Son, to the image of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit working and pushing within us and us obeying God's word and repenting and turning away from sin as he's molding us into his son or to the likeness of Christ. And we do this with fear and trembling because it is God that is working within us. And when we have a high view of God and understand who he is, we take sanctification a little bit more seriously. God has not left us to ourselves for this great task. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. 2 Peter 2.2 Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him 
who called us by his glory and excellence. God has given us his word, his self-revelation, the knowledge of God. He has given us his spirit, the helper within, that works and moves within us, that convicts us of sin, that shows us reality, that shows us truth. He has given us the body, the church, to push us, to, to move us along and to push us forward to Christ, to sometimes to be there with us when we are dealing with hard things, but also to tell us what we need to hear out of love. God has given us everything we need. We have no excuse to not be growing in sanctification and seeking the Lord. John 17, 16. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. This is Jesus' prayer to the Father for his church as he goes to the cross and is going to ascend into heaven. He cries out to the Father that we would be sanctified in the truth. We are sanctified by his word through his spirit. The more we understand who God is from his word, the more we will grow. We will be able to discern good and evil, right and wrong. We will begin to think like God, to see the world through the lens of scripture. We'll be able to discern things like Christ discerned things when he walked here on earth. Imagine a fully grown thistle or thorn bush with all of its sharp and dangerous ways about it, all its tangled mess with no order, with its destructive nature gnashing the flesh of any creature that comes in its path, consuming all other plants in its way. Then imagine that thorn bush being changed in an instant having its very nature transformed into a tiny little apple seed that is planted in the ground by the loving farmer and year by year it is brought through the storms and the farmer prunes it and it will eventually bud and produce apples, bear fruit and be fully grown in all of its beauty and majesty. This is very similar to what God does in our lives. He takes something that was destructive and corrupt and wicked and he transforms it and makes it new and we begin to grow like that little seed and blossom and one day we'll be fully sanctified and glorified and we will look like Christ. We'll be like Christ in perfect righteousness and holiness because of the Spirit of God working within. John 15:1. <clears throat> this probably brought a familiar passage to your mind. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Being pruned hurts. Cuts deep sometimes. But we can praise God that we are a new creation in Christ. You see, thorn bushes don't get pruned. They get removed and thrown in the fire. Praise God that we get to be pruned so that we may bear more fruit for him. Praise God that that process is even taking place within our lives. Praise God that he has saved us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. 
The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. All right, heading, heading number four. Uh, number four, avoiding stunted growth. Avoiding stunted growth. When we are regenerated, the Holy Spirit begins to show us our sin. We become more sensitive to it. As we read his word, conviction sets in. This can lead some Christians to despair and isolation. This is exactly what the enemy wants. He wants you to be isolated, to go crawl in a corner and weep and mope over your sin. And he wants you to believe the lie that no one else is dealing with this. Only you are dealing with this issue and this problem. And if you do that and you are isolated to yourself, you are no longer useful for the kingdom. And you are not living out the gospel or preaching the gospel. That's exactly what Satan wants. When God opens our eyes to our sin, it's not to push us away from Christ. Rather, it's to push us towards Christ. It's to cause us to run to Christ when we see our sin for what it is. See, we have to remember that that great curtain has been torn in two. We have access to the throne room of God because of what God has done in our lives. We run to him. We don't mope around like Eeyore Christians, right? We repent of our sins and we run to Christ. I, I pro- many of you have probably heard me tell this story before, but it's, it's really good. Um, at a men's retreat, before when I used to live in California, uh, there was um, one of the elders from another church came in and he was explaining to us, um, his topic was sin. And he had, he had said that if God was to show us all of our sin at once, we would all die of a heart attack. And what he means by that is that God is so kind and patient and gentle and long-suffering with us He gradually shows us our sin through sanctification. He reveals a little bit at a time because, believe it or not, you're not as bad as you think you are. We are a whole lot worse than we think we are, especially from, apart from from the Holy Spirit, apart from Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 1, right? So what do we do? We run to Scripture. We believe the promises of God. Romans 8, 1 says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See your sin for what it is, right? Repent, fill it for what it is, and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is faithful to forgive us. Sin is a stumbling block. It hinders our growth. We must deny our flesh from from every form of evil. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from evil, every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We must always be on the alert. We must always be careful to examine everything that comes into our viewing, that comes into our hearing, and where we, whatever environment we must be in. We get discernment from the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit brings these things to life. 
We must see sin for what it is. It keeps us from a closer walk with our God. We all want a closer walk with God. We all want a greater sensitivity to our sin so we could be more like Christ. 2 Timothy 2.20 Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to, to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things... He will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. God will work in us no matter what. We will grow faster, though, and with less pain if we do not resist the Holy Spirit. And if we deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow after him and submit to the the commands of God, we must give God the opportunity to work within us. We must turn from our sin and make ourselves useful for the kingdom. The enemy will seek to put things before you to make you stumble. We must always be on the alert and aware and discern. Is this from the enemy? Is this evil? Is this good? Is this right according to God's word, not what we think? We must deny our flesh. The old man is dead. In order to keep him that way, we must crucify him daily. Galatians 5, 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those are sinful passions and sinful desires. We must humble ourselves in order to be more like Christ and say with John the Baptist in John three thirty, He must increase, but I must decreased. Is that the goal of our life? That we would decrease, think less of ourselves, and our goal is to increase, that Jesus would be increased in our lives, that he would grow, we'd grow in a further knowledge of who he is and a further likeness of who he is. Easy to say, right? More difficult to do. But again, we have the power of the Holy Spirit within us. God's will for your life, heading number five. God's will for your life. We have many young people here on this evening. And the number one question asked by most young believers is what? What is God's will for my life? Right? And it's always a thing that's so stressful. What's God's will for my life? Should I move here or there? Should I marry this person or that person? Should I take this job or that job? Uh, These are very important things and very important questions. But God's will for your life, first and foremost, is for you to be conformed to the likeness of his son. 1 Thessalonians 4.3a, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That's God's will for the believer's life, that you would grow in holiness With our eyes fixed on Jesus, our great goal in life is our sanctification. It's to seek hard after God. It should be the most important thing in your life. This is why you are still here. He gets to show you off to the world. Have you ever thought, how come God doesn't save Christians and then just take us to glory? Why does he leave us here? Why does he do that? Because here 
is where he can put his glory on display. He puts his spirit within you, and he shows the world what he can do with a wretch like you and I. This brings him honor and glory. Taking a fallen creature and making it beautiful through his restoring power to be like Jesus in order to bring him glory. Hebrews 12, 14. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Sanctification is not something you work on just on Sundays or Wednesday evenings. If you are not growing in grace and sanctification and pursuing holiness, it is a good sign that you may not know him. If we have surrendered to Christ, then you have then we have to die to self. And if you have surrendered to Christ, you are desiring to die to self because that's the, the result and the fruit of the Spirit working within you. The Christian's goal in life is not the American dream. We are Americans, and this is a great place to live. I wouldn't rather live in any other country, but we are Christian way before we are Americans. Rather, it is being conformed to the image of Christ. That is our great goal in life. 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage, rage war, wage war against the soul. We have to remember, when you come to Christ, you no longer belong to this world. We are considered aliens and strangers to this world. And what, is that, what does that mean? It's this world's, the world view, it's the world's idea, and there is many of them on the broad way, right? Those, all those ways that are contrary to the word of God and reality and truth are false. And those ways will lead us away from God. We are strangers to that. And this is why Christians look so different than the world, and this is why they will hate us. But we don't worry about that. We are pleasing to God. We don't belong here. We're passing through this world, preaching the gospel, and getting others to follow as we glorify God through this walk, as we're sanctified through the Spirit. So many Christians struggle because they do not know who their God is. Hosea 4, 6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you from being my priests, since you have forgotten the law of your God. I also will forget your children. Our sanctification is so much bigger than us. In fact, it's not all about us. It is about the one who we are representing. It is about his name and his reputation. If we're concerned about the name of Jesus, we'll be serious about turning from sin and being sanctified to look more like him. This will be the most important thing in our life, is conforming more to the image of Christ for him and his name and his reputation. Colossians 1.10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously. One of the means of grace by which we are sanctified is obedience. 
Here's a quote from R.C. Sproul. Let me tell you what I think is at the heart of God's will, both in terms of disposition and in terms of prescription. It is God's prescriptive will and it is God's dis- disposition towards you that you master his prescriptive will and that the focal point of our concern about the will of God should be the, to master his commandments because there I know with certainty what the will of God is. In short, we must know this book, right? And we hear it all the time. But we must be saturated in the word of God, the scriptures, constantly filtering through our heart and our mind, showing us what is true, what is right, what is wrong, what is evil, what is good. The word of God, God's self-revelation. We are sanctified by our obedience to God. Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we forget this about the Great Commission. Verse 20, Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Our love for Christ is demonstrated in our obedience and our allegiance to him. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's not legalism to obey God. If you love him, if you see God for who he is to a certain extent, and you want to please him, and you want to honor him, you want to live for him, you want to give your life for him, and all you want is his commands and to show you his word to you, and you want to be changed, that is exactly what God wants. We, we just went through Psalms 119. That whole chapter is about the psalmist loving the word of God, the precepts of God, the law of God. I believe that is the that chapter 119 is the heart of Jesus Christ towards his Father's law. Obedience leads to holiness. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Sanctification results in holiness being set apart for God. Being set apart for God. All right, I am running behind, so. All right, I was going to read the the second paragraph, but I won't read that. Everyone will have to read that on their own because it's pretty good. But it's just talking about the warfare against sin. So then I'll, I'll I'll just go off of that. Okay, we are at war with ourselves, the world and the devil. Are you in the battle is the question. You may be in the war, but are you in the battle? Ephesians 6.10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in, in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We must be equipped through the word of God and put on the armor of God. And then I was going to read um, the third paragraph. But again, it just goes through um, Christian warfare and our battle against sin. It's really good. You guys got to read it. All right. Revelations 3.16. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Right? We know this is Jesus talking to one of the churches there in the book of Revelations. We must examine ourselves and ask, am I lukewarm? This is not a game, right? This is Christianity. It's about the king's reputation. 
We must not take our eyes off of him and get comfortable building our own kingdoms here. Revelations 3.19, those whom I love I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Well, praise God for his mercy. If we are lukewarm, we can always turn back to him and repent and ask him to, to continue to work in our lives and to show us our sin and turn back to him. Some of you can remember when you were first saved and you were on fire for him and you just wanted to live for him and you wanted to tell everyone about him. Some people say that that's just a honeymoon phase. No, it's compromise. We must not let the fire burn out. Keep pressing into Christ. If anything, our love and our desire for him should be increasing because we are being sanctified. We must not let that go out, and that doesn't go out if we continue to pursue him in his word and his truth and obedience. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, we could always run back to him, and he's faithful to forgive us. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number one, says this. What is the chief end of man? Everybody, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. All right, last one, last, last uh, heading. Number six, conforming to Christ. Sanctification is the mighty work of God, molding us into his son's likeness. It is the process of us becoming or coming to know our creator, our creator one personal, personally from now on until eternity. So it's, it's a process of us coming to know the one who has saved us, the God of the universe, from now on into eternity. He doesn't want us to know a system or an organization. He wants us to know him. He doesn't want us to know just a doctrine or some kind of robotic system. He wants us to know him. It's not something robotic. It is a personal walk with, with God as the spirit works within us. Ephesians 4, 15. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, bearing, being fitted and held together by what, ev- I'm sorry, together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each in individual part, causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Because we can't fit God into a box, there is still much mystery here, right? All we can do is go off of what God has revealed in sanctification for our lives. We must live on that. But we can't just figure out God and put him in a box and say this is exactly how God works. We don't know when things come into our life, what God is actually doing every time. Sometimes he reveals that, sometimes he doesn't. But we know this, Philippians 1.6, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's our great hope. We know that God is going to finish his work within us. What he began and what he started, he will complete it to the end. Because he loves us, because he cares for us, but his name is at stake as well in his glory. All right, let's, let's pray. Father, indeed, we, we thank you so much um, for the privilege of being able to be one of your children, for the privilege of knowing you, for the privilege of you working within us and conforming us to the image of your Son. 
Oh God, how bad we need to grow, how much we need to change, how much we need to be more like Him. Lord, would you please, Lord, bless this congregation this evening and all that is hearing this message. Lord, that you would show us more of our sin and then show us more of Christ. Lord, that you would cause real things to happen, Lord, and work in a mighty way within us. That you would give us a greater helping of your spirit, that we would deny ourselves and follow after you. Oh, Lord, we want to be more like him. We want to honor him. We want to love him. We want to seek him. We want his name to be made great among the nations. Lord, that happens if we look more like him. So please, Lord, use the rest of this evening, Lord. Use this congregation in a mighty way, Lord, that, this, that we would be sanctified individually and that that sanctification, sanctification would spread to this world, Lord, as they would see Christ within us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.